My guest today is a lady that I know by... I can't use your first name, can I? Because we're in a school... Oh, can I? Yeah. Yeah. Polly Guttridge. Mm -hmm. Now, we go back quite a few years. In fact, can you remember when we first met? I can. We first met at the opening of the... Well, it wasn't the opening of the Wellington Academy, was it? But it was the opening of the new building of the Wellington Academy. And I know when it was because they gave us all a mug with the date on it saying the Wellington Academy. And I think it was April 2011. I had worked in media and you were running Castle Down Radio out of the Wellington Academy classrooms. And we started talking about radio and media. And we decided that we would bring down a group of students from Wellington College every Wednesday afternoon to the Wellington Academy, which is about an hour from here. So we drove down in the car. And they did a live show on Castle Down Radio out of the Castle Down Radio studios. And that's sort of how Dukebox started, isn't it? That was the first thing we did together. And it, was, it just grew from that, didn't it? Yeah. And, then, and after that, there started to be issues with Castle Down. And then we thought we'd create our own radio station and we created Dukebox. Your career, I think it's very, very interesting. And we've got to find out a lot more about you. Because the other day, I was in your office and on the wall were all these framed books, mm-hmm. book covers, mm-hmm. uh, with Polly Evans on it. Mm-hmm. You know Mrs. Guttridge, but we'll talk about that shortly. I read one of your books when I went to, to China. Before I went to China, I read it, and it, it made me laugh. It really did. And I believe you won an award for that. I've won awards, but not for that book. So I've won awards for the British Guild of Travel Writers' Best Guidebook of the Year for a book that I wrote on Yukon, which is in the... Um, far northwest of Canada. And I won another award for a BBC radio documentary that I made for BBC World Service on Guantanamo province in Cuba, which was called The Other Guantanamo. And the whole idea was that when we hear the word Guantanamo, we think of Guantanamo Bay and orange suit jumpsuits and um, the great travesty of justice that is the American detention camp. But in fact, Guantanamo Bay is a tiny little bay, and an, I think it's an island where the... Det- oh, no, it's not an island, actually. Anyway, Guantanamo Bay, where the detention camp is, is only a tiny corner of Guantanamo province, which is a part of Cuba that is rich in history, dance, food, um, fab- fabulous weather. And um, we went over there to make a documentary about the other Guantanamo, which is what it's called, um, which is basically a travel documentary about this, um, this area of Cuba. Unfortunately, our visas, our journalism visas, were turned down by the Cuban government, who didn't want us making journalism about that area. So we travelled as tourists on tourist visas. Um, we weren't able to take any big equipment. We had to take like little um, MP3 players that looked like tourist stuff, um, so that we were recording fairly much in secret. It, it was very complicated because... We weren't able to say that we were journalists, but at the same time we had guides taking us round, who we thought knew we were journalists and were arranging all our interviews for us. Um, but we had to keep saying that I was doing these interviews because I worked in a school and I taught Spanish and I was going to use them for the children. Anyway, in the end, we got dobbed into the police by a Cuban national cricketer whose name, would you believe it was Stalin? And the reason um, that his parents had called him Stalin was because they were great admirers of the USSR and, and, of, um, and of Stalin. And so Stalin dubbed us into the police, which you couldn't make it up. And then we got stopped for a while and things became a little bit complicated and we had to have a day of tourism lying by the swimming pool. It got a little bit tense. Uh, I, was re- I have never been so happy as to drive through the gates of Wellington College as I was when I returned from that trip with a real feeling of, they can't get me here. <laughs> 
Polly, what would you say is your favourite trip? I think the favourite trip I did, so I wrote, the beginning of my travel writing career, I wrote five what we call travel narrative books, the kind of book that Bill Bryson writes, but without selling quite so many copies, sadly. Uh, so you go on a long trip and then you, you, write, you write basically the story of, of your trip. So the first one I wrote was about riding a bike around Spain and the second one was about um, New Zealand. So I, the bike was a bit hard work, to be honest. I, um, I did a thousand miles on the bike and it was... My my trousers actually shrunk off me. Um, I got to the point where, where I had to buy a belt because my trousers fell down when I when I wore them. I only had one pair of trousers. I was travelling with a bike with a tiny pannier. So I thought I'd introduce a, an engine into things. And I rode a motorbike. I passed my boat motorbike test, so I'm qualified to ride any size motorbike. And I rode a motorbike around New Zealand for a few months. That was cool. Pretty scary. I was fairly terrified of the motorbike. And then I did a, the China book, which you've read about travelling around China by public transport. Then I went to Argentina to learn to ride horses because China was hard work because I couldn't speak the language well at all. So I thought, oh, I'll go back to another Spanish-speaking country. And I did Argentina on horseback. Not on horseback. I learned to ride horses in Argentina. And then the fifth book was about... So I came back from Argentina. It was Christmas. Um, it had been summer, summer, spring, summer over there. I had a suntan. I'd had a great time galloping across the pampas. And I went to see my literary agent. And I took them a present and stuff. And they all looked at me a bit jealously. They were sort of this colour that we are all now, a sort of slightly pale green colour of, of the English winter. And I got an email from my agent the next day saying, we think next time you should go to the Arctic. And I, I've never known to this day whether they were kidding or not, whether they were just jealous. I thought the Arctic's actually not a bad idea. And so I went to the very far north of Canada and learnt to drive sled dogs. Um, huskies. So I went to a, a kennels. I lived at a kennels where they had 108 huskies. Um, amazingly, everyone knew them all by name. I knew them all by name after the first couple of weeks. And I learned to drive sled dogs. Um, and that was my favourite trip. That was absolutely extraordinary. And I really fell in love with the the wilderness, um, the emptiness, the sense of silence, the fact that people who live that far north are not concerned in any way with superficiality. Um, they're not concerned by what you wear or who you are or what you've done. All they really care about is is what you're like and whether you're a sensible person because out there in those temperatures, and we're talking about temperatures of minus 40 or so, um, if you're too glib or too full of rubbish, um, then you die. So the the values that people hold and the qualities that people admire are perhaps slightly different to um, those that we hold in milder conditions. Uh, and I found that very powerful um, and very moving. We were out on a camping trip where it did drop to minus 40, so I slept in a, in a tent with no heating at minus 40, which was exceptionally cold. It was certainly the most physically challenging experience that I'd ever had. We were out there out for six days in absolute wilderness. We had a satellite phone, I think, but we didn't use it. Um, we knew it was... Our, our thermometer only went down to minus 30. We knew it was colder than that because it had gone out the, the mercury had gone out the bottom of the thermometer. Um, but we didn't realise it was minus... 40 minus 42 we were very very tested and it's very interesting to watch how you respond to extreme physical duress and the first thing that goes is your social skills that you could because you that you find yourself becoming quite selfish if there's an extra spoonful of food you want it thank you very much um it's very interesting to watch yourself in in those environments but on that same trip in the daytimes there was bright blue sky and I just remember one evening when we were running late and it darkness had fallen and I was we were running um I was running the dogs so I had a team of six dogs I think over the surface the frozen surface of a river and the 
guides with the skidoos had gone on ahead and the all the sort of tourists we were with who were from Monaco and really finding it quite tough and were quite a long way behind me so I was all on my own with just the silence the very silvery light of the moon reflecting off the river and just the pad 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 of, of, of the dog's paws and just thinking wow this is it this is it I had one of those moments of absolute joy and I was really starting to you know feel that I was quite the part and then obviously because the dogs can tell when you're getting a little bit smug so uh, the dogs obviously noticed that I was getting a bit above myself and then they they smelt the camp and they took off <laughs> raced up a hill chucked me off the sled <laughs> I had to shout to the guy who was there, catch the dogs! Because <laughs> <laughs> um, escaping sled dogs is not what you want, a loose sled out there. Um, and I sort of picked myself up and, and, and looked, you know, like the novice um, musher that I, that I actually was. <laughs> is that what they call it? A musher is a, is, is a person driving a dog sled, yeah. Wow, wow, that's great, it's great. Now you're in Wellington College. That's right. And teaching Spanish. That's right. A lot, a lot calmer, a lot cooler. Weather's warmer. Um, I don't think it's any calmer here. Really. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you miss? Do you miss being the the, the journalist that goes to places? I do, I do. I do miss it, but at the moment, it's not not the life that I'm leading. Um, I now have a husband. I have children. Um, I have a sensible job, um, which is good and fun and stimulating. And I'll, I'll go back to writing, but. Probably not for another ten years or so. I'd like to ask you about the job, if I may. I would imagine it's it's quite difficult because it it, it gobbles up your time, doesn't it? It does. So especially at the moment, because I'm a housemistress, so the hours are quite tricky, and you have to make sure you manage your time because basically, the pupils in your house are there in the evening, right? So most people stop work in the evening and then they relax and then you wind down and then you're able to go to bed. So the thing that I find most difficult about the job is that I go back on duty at 9.30 at night and I'm kind of still wandering around the house very much on until 11 or 11.15. Now at that point when I might like to go to bed, I'm completely wired and can't get to sleep because you don't have that natural wind down time. Um, And then still have to get up at seven to get our own kids up, get them dressed, get them to school. Um, so that becomes very challenging on a sleep deprivation um, point of view. Uh, that, I think, is the most challenging part of the job, is, is just that the hours are sort of all the time. And I don't think the students necessarily realise that that's happening because I don't think they necessarily see us as being as working or being at work when we're in the boarding house in the evenings. Um, but, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the challenging part. Polly Guttridge, thank you for talking to us. <laughs> 